Holly's going to come up now and read a passage of scripture to you. I want to give you some context. We have been looking at the celebration of Pentecost all through the month of May because it was such an important moment in the life of the church. And uh, today is actually Pentecost Sunday, where we recognize that moment when the Holy Spirit, for the first time in this way, came upon a group of, of followers of Jesus and turned them into disciples and grew the church and sent it out on its mission. Now, what has already happened in the passage before where Holly's going to speak is the Holy Spirit has come. They, the disciples have been empowered and blessed in ways that, that were beyond belief. And others started to, around the outside, wonder what the heck was going on. So Peter preaches a sermon to them. Peter, who is the leader of the church. And in that sermon, he basically says who Jesus was. That he was, in fact, the Son of God. He was here to become our new Messiah, our Savior. And in fact, he was the one that had been killed and rejected by the people. And when they heard that, this is what happened. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed this message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Join with me in a spirit of prayer. Gracious and loving God, we ask you to, once again, let your Holy Spirit fall upon us. We ask for this, we yearn for it, and yet there's also a truth that we're a little nervous about it. We're wise enough to at least understand that if your Holy Spirit's really flowing, then everything becomes guided by you. And while so much of that is a blessing, it means some of our need to control might have to go away. So it's a struggle. So help us in this moment, first to feel the movement of your spirit, and then guide us in responding to it faithfully, wonderfully, and for your purpose. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, I know that you had a great Sunday last Sunday. If you were here, I heard about it. The worship was fantastic, I was told. And, and you had a great pancake breakfast. We had a great weekend, too. Uh, Laura and I were over in Chicago, in the Chicago area, uh, celebrating our 39th wedding anniversary. Uh, we decided that we're up for another year, so we're going to give it another go. So that's good. Um, but what happened is that Emily, our oldest daughter, called me up about two months ago and said, Hey, Dad, what are you guys doing for your wedding anniversary? Well, I was really impressed that she thought that two months ahead of my anniversary, I'd given it any thought. And so that was nice, but I said, we hadn't plan made plans yet. And uh, she said, hey, well, I got an idea. Why don't you come over and watch the, ba the grandkids? Well, yes, I, why hadn't I thought of that? And uh, so we decided that we would. And the, well, here's the deal is that on Saturday of last weekend, 
Emily and Martin and some friends went down into the city to go see Hamilton and do the day in the city. And so we were going to watch the kids on Saturday, and then on Sunday after church, which we all went to together, then Laura and I would bail out and go into the city and, you know, spend our own time in the city and then come home. Well, most of that, in fact, all that happened, but we went early. We went on Thursday because, you know, you got to sort of gear up to watch the grandkids all day on your own. So we got in on Thursday, and on Thursday night, uh, our uh, five-year-old grandson, our kindergartner, Jasper, um, says, hey, Poppy, I've got Cub Scout meetings tonight. You want to come? Well, of course I want to come. And so Thursday night of, of uh, before last weekend, week, a week ago Thursday, we, uh, I went to this, and what it was is they went to a nature park, sort of like the metro parks around here where they have walking trails. And the, the, the program that night was going to be they're going to go through a, a walk through this nature preserve. And when I got there with uh, Martin and my son-in-law and Jasper, Paul was there, who's the Cub Scout master. And soon the rest of the boys arrived, all the same age, um, five of them, uh, five kindergartners, to go on a walk through a nature preserve. Now Paul gets them all together and he says, okay, here's what you're going to do. We've got some basic rules. Really, there's only two rules. The first of which is all the stones stay on the ground. Second rule is all the sticks stay with the stones. Okay? And then he talked about how we're going to go through this, so we need to be together. We want to sort of be quiet to hear the birds and see nature and so on. And he said, so we're going to go down this path. And all the kids said they wanted to lead. And he said, the only ones who can lead are the ones who know where we're going. So Jasper puts his hand up in the air. And he said, no, no, you have to know where we're going. What he didn't know is that Jasper had been to this nature preserve several times before with his dad. So we headed out, and Jasper was leading. And the rest of the Boy Scouts or Cub Scouts with him. And then behind the adults. We were behind because we couldn't keep up. They were running down the path being five-year-old boys. There was no nature within 10 miles of us. They were all getting the heck out of town. They heard this noise, the kids playing. We hadn't gone. Well, I know exactly how long we'd gone because Paul pulls them all back together and he says, it hasn't been four minutes and y'all have already forgotten everything I told you. So he tried to give him instruction again. This went on for about 40 minutes. Sticks were picked up. Stones were picked up, noise was made, and we finally got back to almost where we were going to end this hike. And Paul had finally had about enough. Now, Paul was fantastic. He didn't lose his temper with him, but you could tell it was time to hold accountability session. So he pulls them all together, and he says, Listen, you guys have got to understand that we've got to work together. You've been scaring the wildlife away. You haven't heard anything because you're noisier than the birds. You've got to stop this. And the boys knew that Paul had gotten that real serious part of the conversation. Because the five boys all looked up at Paul, real serious-like, knowing that they had been finally brought well, excuse the expression, brought to a Jesus moment, okay? And they paused, and you could tell in their minds, each one of them was asking the question, what should we do? Well, that's the question of the scripture for today. The, the, 
those gathered around the outside had just heard this sermon from Peter. And it was a sermon that made so many of them feel convicted because they realized that Jesus and had been in their midst and they realized who Jesus was. He was literally God. He had been sent to them with purpose and intent and beauty and wonder and hope and a message and salvation. And they had rejected him. And obviously they were feeling like this was another come to Jesus moment. I mean, a kind where you feel guilty because you realize you weren't who you needed to be or should have been. They look at Peter convicted and they ask, what should we do? You know, their question is the eternal question. When we begin to get close to think about, get to know, and enter into a relationship with this Jesus, we're continually asking the question, what should we do? What should we do about this Jesus guy? What does it mean to, to worship him? What does it mean to get to know him? What does it mean to be a disciple? What should we do? We spend a lot of our life asking that question. What's next? How should I get through today? How do I deal with this situation? How do I live my life in faith? What should we do? They were asking it specifically out of a sense of being convicted, meaning they knew that they had done wrong. When they ask a question, they ask it of Peter. Now, that's important. You'll remember, hopefully, that Peter was that impetuous, impulsive, often getting it wrong follower of Jesus. Peter continually jumped to the front of the line, said, I know where we're going, and headed down the path into total chaos. Including, not long before this sermon, in the moment when Jesus could have used a friend more than any other time, three times denied that he even knew Jesus. Talk about being convicted. So when they're asking Peter, what should we do? Peter knew. Because he also knew not only the depth of how lousy it feels when you get it all wrong, he also knew the power of being forgiven. Because now he'd gone from that guy who betrayed Jesus three times to now the one giving the sermon. Now the one with the responsibility of proclaiming truth the believers around him and the would-be believers around him. What should we do? He knew the answer. He said, repent and be baptized. When we hear that word repent, I think there's a part of us, at least, that oftentimes thinks that when I say to you, you need to repent, what I'm really saying to you is, man, did you really screw up? If you need repentance, you must be a really lousy sinner. It's like a real judgment upon someone. You need to repent. I don't think that's how Peter meant it because that wasn't Peter's experience. To repent for Peter was just to lay it, on, lay it out on the, line, the truth. Who am I? What's the truth about my life? Let me lay it before Jesus and let Jesus do with it what Jesus can. And for Peter, that wasn't a harsh judgment. It wasn't condemnation leading to damnation. It was freedom. When he had acknowledged before God and Christ that he really had messed up continually in his life, including in that night of the three betrayals, he discovers there he's set free. He's given new life. He's given new power. 
To repent for him was a good thing. It was to be honest about where he was and let God do this amazing work within him. So when they said, what should we do? And Peter says, repent. What he's saying is, be honest with God with where you are. Because where you are is where you are. You've got to start there. So if, if you're feeling convicted, if you've screwed up, yeah, ask for forgiveness. That's okay. If you've been overwhelmingly blessed, stop and give God thanks. Quit acting like you did it all yourself. If it's you're needing direction, you don't know where to go next in your life, name that to Jesus and ask God to help guide you. Wherever you are, just lay it out there and let God take over. Let Jesus take it for you. So repent and be baptized. Now, pretty clear in my life, one of the things that I know I can say today without any hesitation, there's no way I'm wrong on this. Brady doesn't need to repent today. Now, he may need to give you more sleep. I don't know how that's going. But he doesn't need to repent. We're not baptizing Brady because he needs to get washed away of all the dirt in his life. We baptize Brady today because we are committed, you as his parents and family and friends, and us as his faith community, to make sure we will do everything we can. So wherever Brady is in his life, whatever the truth is in his life, he knows he can turn to Jesus Christ and have Jesus work an amazing thing in his life. He will never be alone. He will have God's hand in his life. He'll have the potential of God stirring in his heart, and he'll be placed on the pathway that will once in a while have bumps and bruises and owies, but will take him to glory as you and I work together, as we all work together, as we just said, for this baptism not to be a moment, but a lifestyle. It's an invitation for him to be washed in grace, washed in love from this point on. And whatever happens, that I know is what's going to happen. So be baptized. Splash in the waters of grace. Surround yourself with love. Get closer to Jesus. Get baptized. Splash in the water. It's good water. So repent and be baptized, he told them. And they welcomed his message. It says that. They welcomed his message. How, how much so? 3,000 people came and joined the church that prior to this day had numbered 120. They went from 120 to 3,000 in one day. Now the truth is, I don't know if those are preacher numbers or usher numbers. We oftentimes disagree about the number of people in church. I think there's probably about 600 people here. What do you think, Laura? That's what I'm guessing. The ushers say there's not, but you know, there's always a gap between that. So I don't know if the 3,000 is literal or not, but I do know this. What he's telling us is, the church has exploded when people receive this message. People welcomed it. And this is what I've come to know, and this is a later learning in my life. I used to think that when you experienced repentance and baptism and came closer to Jesus, we all sort of came the same way and experienced it the same way. I now know there is no way that that's true. We've all lived different lives. We've all had different weeks. We all have different weaknesses and different strengths. And we all come to Jesus differently. And thanks be to God, we can. I don't need you, expect you, even want you to try to come to Jesus just the way that I did. I want you to come to Jesus the way Jesus wants you to come to him. 
Now, we don't look like a radically diverse congregation, but in many ways we are, because there's not two people in this room who've had the same experience, the same talents or gifts. And so when you're coming to Jesus, you may experience that differently. And once you get to Jesus, you may be a different kind of Christian in the ways in which you live it out because you've got different gifts and talents. But it's all one body. So wherever you are, be honest about it. Give yourself over to Christ. And then from there, live your faith as a community. This story of Pentecost is an invitation for us to become honest about where we are and then move forward, be baptized. As I thought about this over the years, I've come to believe that there are at least four and maybe five ways in which we can measure where we are in our faith journey. The first one, I believe, starts with when we say, I'm a child of God. We say that a lot around here. I'm a child of God, you're a child of God. I've come to discover not everybody believes that about themselves. They may have heard messages in their life that they're far less than that. They're a piece of garbage. You're worthless. You don't mean much to me or to God or anybody. Maybe you're simply defined as being a sinner or someone outside or whatever. I don't know. So to get to the place where you can say, I'm not junk. I'm a child of God. All my flaws being revealed. I'm a child of God at my core. If I never knew anything about Brady the child of God. That's where it starts. How often we forget that. It's true for everyone in this room. So that may be your first step of faith today, just to be able to say that with confidence. I'm a child of God. I'm made in God's image. I'm made intentionally by God to be who I am, as I am, for what God intends me to be. That's the first step. And then beyond that, we may discover that we become a fan of Jesus. We start to hear some things about Jesus. We start to hear that, you know, he has some good things to say. And, and we really think Jesus might have something in store for us. But we really haven't taken the time to get to know Jesus. We more know about him through other people. Maybe you know more about Jesus because of what things like Reverend Laura and Pastor Rick say than what you know having read yourself. Maybe you're a fan, but you're scared if someone were to ask you to actually tell them the story. Maybe you're a fan. Or maybe you're a seeker, and you've gone from being a fan to wanting to get a little more serious. So you've actually done some reading. You tried to practice some prayer life. You know a little bit more of the story of Jesus. And it's starting to make a little bit more sense to you becomes a little bit more important to you. Or maybe you've become a follower of Jesus. We call that a disciple. Someone who says every morning when they get up, I'm going to live today to the glory of God and in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to do. Every day, every week, I'm going to try to pattern my life after the things that Jesus said and do what I believe Jesus would ask me to do in every situation. That's my goal, that's my passion, that's my calling. Now those are four places we can be on the journey. None of them are wrong. Uh, no church should have all disciples. It means you're not opening up the door for other people. And nobody should be stuck in any one of those categories along the pathway to a deep relationship to Christ. 
So how do you know where you are on the journey? It's simple. Are you someone who still isn't sure you're really a child of God? Are you someone who's a fan of Jesus but really don't know that much about him? Are you a seeker who's still in that exploring process? Or are you a follower of Jesus? Here's how you know. How did you live your life last week? That's it. How did you live your life last week? Did you live your life knowing that you were a child of God and standing confident in that truth? Did you live your life as a fan of Jesus? You know, I'm willing to count myself on that side. I don't really understand a lot of it. But I'm, I'm, I'm over on that side. Did you spend time learning more, seeking more, try to figure out more about Jesus? Or did you make every day a commitment to Jesus? The only answer that's wrong is a dishonest answer. Lay out the truth. You know the answer to that question, don't you? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But you already know where you are on that. When they said to Peter, what should we do? He said, repent. He said, become honest with where you are. And then make a decision next, what should we do? Because Peter knew that once you become honest about the truth of your life and you lay it before Jesus and you're willing to take the next step, Christ will meet you there. Others will join with you in taking that next step. Maybe it's finally getting the confidence to say, I'm a child of God. The faith can help you do that. Maybe it's just getting to be a fan, making more of a move. To, yeah, Jesus seems to be important. Maybe it's about actually getting serious about reading and knowing his story, or maybe it's following him. But all along the way, God meets us and is willing to take you to the next place. That's Pentecost. That's the movement of the Holy Spirit taking you from where you began to where God needs you to be. And that's the promise today. Remember my story about the Cub Scouts? We, uh, we ended the story when Paul had finally reached his limits and he said to the kids, you know, it's lay down the law time. We got to get serious about that. What I didn't tell you is why we got to that moment is that in the, right then at that moment, little Billy had been hit in the stomach by a stick that didn't stay on the ground. So Paul brought them all together and he starts off with this very compassionate sort of a dad kind of, well, Billy's tough, he'll walk it off speech. But you have to understand, he said. He wasn't overly gruff, but he was serious and they knew it. You have to understand when we are together, you've got to work together, you've got to do what we say we're going to do. Do you understand? Will you promise me you will do that? And as he said that, you had five five-year-olds looking up at Paul, serious. What should we do? You knew that was in their heart. You knew they were thinking that. And then suddenly, one of the scouts steps back and stands up and gives the scout salute. <laughs> it was so precious. It was not Jasper. I'm in a position where I'm standing just off of Paul's right shoulder. I see the five guys. I see the salute. And Paul acknowledges that and says, thank you. And then I look, of course, as I would to my Jasper, who's right, right in front of Paul. And Jasper is looking up with this face of absolute innocence. He wants to respond some way which has integrity. So he looks up at Paul. And he reaches up his hand. And he does this. 
to offer a pinky promise. <laughs> He's standing there with that little finger extended in the air with the most sincere, honest offering I've ever seen offered in my life. And then Paul became a hero to me for all time. Paul looked down at him. He did not say, no, 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 we do this. He didn't do that. He met um, Jasper where he was. He reached down to where Jasper was. He reached his hand out and made a pinky promise with him. It was Pentecost. Jasper was accepted where he was and was given an opportunity to move forward. And Paul didn't judge him, but just walked with him. And those five little disciples of cubs decided to hang together. And we got the last 50 yards with no one else getting hurt. Praise Jesus. Here's what I want to tell you. And I want to tell you this really, really from the depth of my heart. It's Pentecost Sunday. Today's the day I'm asking you, I'm imploring you, answer the question, where are you? Where are you with Jesus? Today's the day when you answer that question honestly and turn over and give it to God even if you're not sure how to do that, just do it. Just say, Lord, here's where I am. It's the truth. Help me get to where you need me to be. Just do that. Here's what Peter knew. Here's what Paul knew. Here's what I know. Christ will take that as a holy offering and meet you where you are and take you to the next place. I pinky promise you.